Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. What a blessing it is to lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving to God, to thank him not just for what he's done, but to thank God for who he is. You know, it's amazing on the opposite side of a victory, you will hear players in sporting events say, I first want to give honor to God and I want to thank God for just the opportunity to play this game. But, but you don't hear that kind of thanks and praise on the other side of losing. You don't hear people praising and thanking God for the losses as well as for the victories. And somehow I think we have made the mistake of thinking he's only worthy of the praise when we win instead of recognizing that he's worthy of the praise all the time. Win, lose, or draw, God is worthy to be praised. And we're grateful to God. Thank you, praise team, for helping us today to give to God, give to God the praise and the honor and the glory that he so richly deserves. Come on, let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this opportunity to lift our voices around your word. I pray now, God, that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, my strength and redeemer, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Did you know that God has expectations for you? When you ask Jesus Christ into your life, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your spirit because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved, but with that salvation from God comes expectations. For example, God expects you to be committed to living a life of righteousness. God expects you to live a life of righteousness. That's, that's a reasonable expectation. God, God expects you uh, to give yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says that's your reasonable service. God expects you to commit yourself to prayer, uh, that you ought to pray without ceasing. You ought to pray at all times. God expects you uh, not only to live righteously and holy and to be a person of prayer, God expects you to spend time in the Word of God. God expects you to spend time in the Word of God. But maybe the greatest thing that God expects from you is around this idea of love. It's arguably the most important demand that God makes of us. Because our willingness and our ability to display love to others makes us a walking billboard for who God is and for who God wants other people to be. God says, you have to love me, but it doesn't stop there. You've got to learn how to love others. Now, when most of us think of this word love, uh, we think of some romantic, erotic love. We, we think of maybe a family love for siblings or parents or children. 
But when God commands us to love, that command is beyond the conventional defining or thinking about love. The Lord commands us to love beyond both who we normally would love, who we have a tendency to love, and how we would normally love. As a matter of fact, let me suggest this to you. If you're not challenged in how to love, then I submit to you, you're not trying to love the way God is calling you to love. Because there's a level of love that God expects from us that can only be accomplished with the assistance of divinity. It's only the God in us that can produce the love of God through us. Uh, today, for a few moments, as we continue our series and our theme, being a great people for a great God, we've been looking at several of the greats in the Bible. We've talked about the Great Commission, and we've talked about God's great power, and, and we've talked about our love for a great God. But, but today, I want to talk to you from the thought, how to give God's love to others. How do we give the great love that we have received from God? How do we give that love to others? Our foundational text is Mark chapter 12. And we're going to focus on verse 31 today, but there are several scriptures that we're going to talk about, uh, not just this week, but next week as well as we continue our look at this idea of giving God's love to others. Now, remember, uh, the scribes had determined that the Jews were obligated to obey 613 thou shalt and thou shalt nots. There were 365 negatives or thou shalt nots, one for every day of the year and 248 positives or what you should do. And one of their favorite exercises was to debate which of the commandments were the greatest. Uh, there was a tendency on the part of many Jewish scholars to expand the law limitlessly into hundreds or thousands of rules or regulations. So they took those 10 commandments and they extrapolated out of those 10 up to this point, 613. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. One of them overhears what Jesus is saying. He says, Jesus is answering well. So he says, listen, let me pull Jesus into this. What, what do you think, Rabbi, is the greatest commandment? Verse 28, Mark chapter 12. Jesus answered in verse 29, the most important is hero Israel. The Lord our God is the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Here's the first thing I want you to see today. If you're going to give God's love to others, if you're going to give that great love to others who need it in a great way, number one, you need to realize the Lord commands you to love your neighbor. The Lord commands you 
to love your neighbor. He says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second of the two great commandments. And he says there's no commandment greater than loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, somebody may ask the question, why did Jesus feel it necessary to share both of these commandments? In other words, if Jesus had told him the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he stopped there, Jesus would have been right. But here's what I believe Jesus understood about those who were listening then and those of us who are listening now. I believe Jesus understood that the first commandment could be too abstract for some because it could be said but not necessarily seen. And if that first commandment was seen or shown, it might not result in the change in how we interacted with one another. Let me see if I can make it plain. Uh, there are many now who are saying, you know what? Uh, we got to come back to church. We got to come back to church. We got to get people back to church. Come back to church. You go to the malls, you go to restaurants, you go to bars, you go to sporting events. Come back to church. And my question is, for what? For what? Now, I'm not saying I'm against coming back to church. Here's what I am saying. I'm against coming back to church the way most churches were functioning before COVID-19. Because if we are going to come back to church and reform and regather into our holy huddles and refuse to be salt and light in the world, if we are going to regather as a people of God and be happy with Jesus alone, and we're determined to keep him alone, then I submit to you that we're not being who God wants us to be. God says it's not enough for you just to say, I love the Lord. God wants everybody to know that these commandments are not only to be proclaimed and professed, they are to be practiced. And you don't practice loving God simply showing up on Sunday. Loving God puts you on the path to obey God, and you don't just obey God on Sunday or what you may deem to be the Sabbath and having rest on the Sabbath or worshiping God on the Sabbath because what's this? Worship is not a, an event. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not to be limited to the four walls of a consecrated building. Worship is to show up every day of your life. Every step that you make, it should be an act of worship. As a matter of fact, truth of the matter is, is it is an act of worship. The problem is, in many of our steps, God is not the one who's getting the glory. I'll save that for another day. So here's what Jesus wants you to understand. In order for love to be fully understood and impactful, it has to be demonstrated more than just declared. As a matter of fact, here's what the Apostle Paul reminds us. If our love is simply declared and not demonstrated, 
then we are like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Love has to be manifested. It has to be put into action. Now, remember this word for love, the root of which, where we get the word agape, right? Uh, This is God's love for us, expressing the ultimate form of love for us, not when we deserved it, but because we needed it. And this is a love that loved us where we were, but it was such a powerful love that it's a love that's determined to get us where we need to be. It's the love that God has for us. It's the love that God has for his son. It's the love that Jesus has for us. It is the love that we are to have for God, an unconditional love, and it is a love that we are to have for one another. So, Basically, Jesus says, if you're wondering how you're supposed to love others, look and see how God loves you. He says the way God loves you is the way you are to love others. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Uh, Most of us love in a very selfish, self-serving kind of way, not in a selfless kind of way. That's our human tendency, to be selfish, not selfless. Uh, The reason the Lord commands us to love our neighbor is because our tendency is not to love beyond ourselves and not to love beyond our immediate concentric circle of contact. He says, I need you to love beyond yourself Love beyond those who are part of your immediate family and learn how to love even those who may not like you or those you may not like. Now, now can I be honest with you? I'm, I'm telling you this right now. I'm preaching this word to you right now. And I've got to confess to you, man, the Holy Ghost is cutting me up right now. The Holy Ghost is cutting me up right now because I literally avoided an event that I was invited to because I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to handle being around some of the people that I was gonna have to be around. One in particular, flat out lied, person without honor. I mean, just lied, man, just lied. And I'm okay with you being a liar, I'm just not okay having to pretend like you're not a liar, right? So I'm like, hey man, I'd, I'd rather not even deal with this person. And I, I'm telling you right now, the Holy Ghost is saying, now, is, is, that, is that the way you're supposed to deal with it? Now, I did have something else I had to do. It was honest. It was legit. But I got to tell you something. My heart wasn't hurting that I didn't have to be around this person. Right? Listen, God commands us to love. And remember, this love is not rooted in affection, attraction, emotions or drawn out by the excellency or the deserving of the person being loved. It is an unconditional love manifested in a deliberate choice and exercising of the will to love by the person giving the love. And that love is to be seen in their actions. Because love in this context 
is more than just words. Here's the second thing and final thing we'll talk about today, and I'll pick this up next week. Number two, you need to understand who your neighbor is to understand who you are to love. You've got to understand who your neighbor is if you're going to understand who you are to love. Jesus says you shall love. Who? Your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? That's what was asked in Luke chapter 10. Look at what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Watch what is said in verse 29 by the lawyer. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Listen, (laughs) most of us don't have a problem quoting the Scripture. We're challenged in quantifying the Scripture. We don't have a problem quoting it. I should love my neighbor as myself. But like this lawyer, we might ask Jesus the question, hey, who is my neighbor? I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that there are many who say they are Christ followers who are following the ways of the world more than they are following the commands of Christ when it comes to who they love, who they support, who they stand with, who they fight for. And if they cannot stand with a friend who's doing wrong, they won't stand with the person who's being done wrong by the friend. So they won't back up. No, they'll just stand on the side and basically claim a level of innocence and say their hands are not dirty because they are not an active participant in the wrongdoing that is taking place and being perpetuated by the person who they say they love. Because here's what I hear Jesus saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's he's not referring to a friend, right? Uh, Jesus is concerned about how we define neighbor. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10, he starts telling this story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Almost sounds like a joke. There was a priest, a Levite, and Samaritan, and they were walking down this road, right? And Jesus redefines this idea of neighbor. Now, for many of us, uh, this idea of neighbor is at best an antiquated concept. For some of you who are younger, it might be a foreign concept. Uh, When I was growing up, there was a time, for example, uh, if my mother was cooking or baking something and she needed an extra egg or needed some milk, she would send me around the corner in our apartment complex, even in the projects, and say, hey, go ask Miss Shirley for an egg. Tell her I need an egg. 
And, and whether it was returned or not later on when my mother went shopping, I don't know. If somebody needed a cup of sugar, it wasn't abnormal for somebody to knock on our door and say, hey, uh, my mom needs a cup of sugar or my mom needs a cup of milk. It wasn't abnormal. And we knew who our neighbors were. <clears throat> we would sit out on the porch when we owned a home and wave at our neighbors who drove by or who walked by. We spoke to people, right? But, but we're not real neighborly now. As a matter of fact, we live almost in silos, in isolation. Uh, it's not abnormal now for tragedies to occur in homes and the people who live right next door have no idea who the person is. Haven't seen them, barely talked to them, because people come and go many times in and out of their garage and their garage is serving kind of as their own makeshift bat cave. So you don't see people walking outside much. And if you do see them, they're not looking to be friendly. Jesus says, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And, and then when he walks through this passage in Luke chapter 10, in verse 31, when he says, by chance, a priest was going down the road because there was a man who fell among robbers and had been stripped and beaten and left half dead. He said, the priest came down, saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite came. He saw the place, saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, let me just share this with you, and I'll pick this up next week. Contextually, a neighbor is a person in need who comes into your concentric circle of contact. The key word is the person who is in need. Jesus doesn't define the neighbor by who lives in the man's neighborhood. He doesn't define the neighbor by who knows the man or who likes the man. He defines neighbor by the person who's willing to show kindness and compassion to the man, which says what? Every one of us has the ability to be more neighborly to the people we come in contact with. You know, when we see neighborliness at its height, it's in the midst of catastrophes. Uh, it's in the midst of crisis. Have you noticed when we've had in the Gulf Coast region, for example, storms, um, go back to Harvey, pick up tax day flood, go to Rita, go to Ike, go to Katrina. When people are being rescued, nobody who's driving the rescue boats or driving the extra high trucks that are going through flood waters, nobody asks the people who need assistance, are they a Democrat or Republican? 
Nobody asked for their political ideology. Nobody asked for their GPA. Nobody asked any of those questions that we seem to major on in minor times. You need help, get in. Nobody who needs to be saved asked the question, hey, is this a Republican vote? Did you support Trump? Nobody says, I'm a Democrat. I need a Democratic vote. I don't need no Republican vote saving me. You get in to the first vehicle that is neighborly. People discovered their neighbors when we had the ice storm and even before that when we've had storms and blackouts and outages. People lost power not for hours, but for days. And they had food that would go bad. And it was amazing how many people purchased charcoal and started grilling on their pits and inviting their neighbors over and they got to meet their neighbors. Because at that moment, they were all in the same predicament. Jesus says a good neighbor is one who shows mercy to anyone who needs mercy especially if that needy person is undeserving or socially despised. Let, let me ask you a question. How can you do a better job of not just loving God, but loving your neighbor? Can, can I tell you something real quick before I let you go? Listen to me carefully. The proof that you love your neighbor, that you love God, is seen in how you love your neighbor. That's, that's the proof. You, you've heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the love. You say you love God. The scripture says, how can you say you love God whom you have never seen and can't love the person next to you who you see every day? He says, if you really love God, then that love that you have for God should help transform you into the ability to love others. So Jesus basically says this, don't claim the first commandment and neglect, neglect try to negate or move past the second commandment. Because in a very real sense, the second commandment is the validation or the proof the ocular demonstration that you have the first commandment. We need to learn how to give that love that God has given us to other people, to meet them where they are, just like God's love met us where we are, and through our love, help them become the best that they can possibly be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for life and the fact that you have given us life and you give it to us more abundantly. I pray now, God, that we would in turn give that love to others. Uh, just like we needed your love and still need your love every day of our lives. I pray, God, that we would give that love to others, that we would love people 
in such a powerful way that we can love them when they are at their worst and that our love for them will move them and love them to be their best. We thank you and we ask your blessings now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My brothers and sisters, thank you so much for being with us on today. Now listen, before you go, uh, just a couple of things. Don't leave us too soon. Uh, I need to remind those of you who are part of that next generation leader group, those of you who are millennials and younger, uh, we are opening up our next generation leaders cohort, not to those only who can meet in person, but we're also adding a digital component. So it will be hybrid. It will be for those who are in person and those who can only participate on the digital platform. It is free of charge, but this next generation leader program, I promise you is life changing and you want to be a part of it wherever you are in the world. We're being watched in 143 countries. And listen, I dare you wherever you are, just man, sign up, register today for the next generation leaders cohort. It will bless your life because it will not only share principles with you that will bless you in the body of Christ, but it will bless you and share principles with you that you'll be able to use in your workplace as well, in your family. When you think about being the husband, being the wife, being the mother, being the father that God wants you to be, man, this class, this cohort will bless you in a special way. So make sure you do that. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is make a conscientious decision to get active in the kingdom work. Now, listen to me carefully. I don't want you to miss this. Um, there are two things that we are emphasizing as we come back into our corporate setting and back into our sanctuary. We are emphasizing ministry mobilization and missions and outreach. Here's why. Your growth is limited by joining a church or even going to classes. You grow exponentially when you do what the Apostle Paul encourages you to do, and that's work out your soul salvation. Not work for it, work it out, which means you become the salt and light that God has commanded you and God has created you to be. And so I want to encourage you, my brother and sister, get actively involved wherever you are, volunteer wherever you are, even if you're just a lone salt shaker in your community, be the salt that God has called you to be. It's not about getting out and beating people up with the Bible. It's about showing them the love of God by sharing with them the love that you have received from God. Now, if you like to worship the Lord in giving, you have an opportunity to do that. There are six ways that you can worship the Lord in giving on the digital platform here at the Good Hope Church. I want to thank those of you who have been faithful in your giving. Some of you have been giving not just during the pandemic, but even before the pandemic. And you have continued to give even in the midst of ebbs and flows of the pandemic. And I want to thank you today for your faithfulness in your giving as the kingdom work continues to go forth here. Man, we've got some exciting things going on. Our diversionary program, we're changing the lives of young men and young women who have 
gotten into trouble with the justice system and we're working with these young men, these young women and their families to help change the trajectory of their lives. We know that the earlier young men and young women get involved in the penal system, the more likely they are to become part of the school to prison pipeline. So if we can divert them early on, if we can help change them early on, if we can plant good seed in them and water that seed and see that seed come forth into good fruit, praise God, that's what we wanna do. Your giving helps us to do that here at the Good Hope Church. Our food pantry, we're still feeding thousands of people every month. Um, and we know that the food insecurities are only going up as we see gas prices going up and we're seeing inflation going up and we're seeing people's take home pay go down. And so because of that, we wanna continue that work as well. Our counseling ministry is doing a tremendous job under the leadership of Minister Darrell Rose and his wife, Cynthia Rose. They're doing a tremendous job in helping uh, men and women, families uh, come to understand their lives and to submit themselves to the word of God and to begin to align their lives in conjunction with the word of God. All of that comes out of your giving so much more. Now that's just locally. We're not even talking about what we're doing nationally and internationally in spreading the gospel around the world. So I wanna thank you for being a partner with us in the kingdom building work. Now, if you wanna unite with our church, of course, you are more than welcome to join. You can just click the link that says, I wanna join the church. Can I tell you something? Man, just this past week, we had somebody else join online. So even though we have been reopened since the third Sunday in February, we still have people joining online. And for some of you, you may not be comfortable coming back and that's okay because we wanna help facilitate your discipleship on the digital platform. And we thank you for giving us the honor and privilege to be able to do that. Uh, I also wanna say to those of you who wanna give your life to the Lord, if you're listening right now and you wanna say yes to Jesus Christ, you wanna commit your life to the Lord, all you've gotta do is click on the link that says, I want to be saved, I want to become a Christian, and I will show you via video how to pray the prayer of salvation. Gotta send a special shout out to my friend, to my brother from another mother, Pastor Ronnie Booker and the Greater St. Matthew Baptist Church. I had an opportunity to preach there in person. Pastor Booker has been sick for several months and he is on the road to recovery. It's certainly not going as fast as he would like it or as fast as the congregation would like it. But man, I'm so grateful. My love for the Bookers goes back to me first coming to this city and the late Pastor Augusta Booker Jr. and Sister Theola Booker um, welcomed me and loved me and encouraged me. And I was so blessed, man. I can remember uh, on Sunday mornings listening to Pastor Booker um, with, with his just, just very simple but profound um, proclamation of the Word of God. And it was such a blessing and then got a chance to develop a relationship with him. He went home to be with the Lord last year. Sister Theola Booker went home to be with the Lord several years ago. Pastor Ronnie succeeded them. And man, he's just been going through. So I wanna ask all of you who are watching and know the words and the worth of prayer to pray for Reverend Ronnie Booker, Pastor Ronnie Booker at the Greater St. Matthew Baptist Church here in Houston, Texas. And we'll continue to pray for him and the people 
that God has blessed to be part of that church family. Last but not least, remember God is doing something wonderful in you and God is doing something wonderful in me. Download the app if you get a chance. Download the app, go to our website, check out what's going on and make sure you remind somebody else that there's never been a better time for hope. All right, till next time.